It is the Matt Mosley Show. Early tip tonight, 6 o'clock, pregame at 5.30. They will, that will preempt the Matt Mosley Show. There's almost nothing in life that can preempt it, but a Baylor game can do it. Kevin Longquist, I mean, he's a big enough name to preempt the <laughs> Matt Mosley Show. And uh, Kevin joins me now. And, um, Kevin, I tell you, this is a, a momentous uh, evening for the Bears, and I know you've been in contact doing all your, kind of doing all, you're running all your traps, but the Bears end up with um, Sawyer Robertson as the transfer quarterback um, at uh, coming from Mississippi State, which I find very interesting because Mississippi State had another player from Rockwall that just transferred to Wisconsin, so uh, boy, Mike Leach and that gang had some very talented quarterbacks on their roster, and of course they were behind a really good quarterback in Will Rogers. Um, Kevin, what, what had you been hearing on the quarterback front? Did this catch you by surprise, or did, had you kind of been tipped off it was headed this uh, direction? What was your reaction last night? Well, uh, I kind of felt during the day on Monday that, I mean, I just been hearing from a couple of people that Baylor felt pretty good about its chances with them. I mean, it was an, if it was a 50, 50 proposition, if you will, between Baylor and TCU, because he visited both schools last week. He got to Baylor late Thursday night and then did the tour on Friday and Saturday. And then it was just a matter of, of what, uh, you know, what could, what could sell him on making the tri- trip to come to Waco versus going to Fort Worth. And, I think one thing that may have played into his played into Baylor's favor, like which is kind of interesting about this, and you know, Matt, I always use the phrase recruiting is weird, and I think in this case it was. He had never been to Waco in his life until that trip this past weekend, never. And the reason why he went to Fort Worth earlier was because he was familiar with Sonny Dykes' coaching staff when Sonny and his guys were over at SMU, and that's where he had the relationship with them in private previous years. But I think just the the opportunity and maybe looking at the quarterback roster and that there might've been a better opportunity in Waco than there was in Fort Worth. And that's why he's going to be showing up on campus, uh, you know, this weekend in time for the spring semester, which starts on Tuesday. Well, isn't that going to be interesting? So you're, you're thinking that this could be, uh, maybe he's been assured that this will be an all out competition. And this is not, I mean, while Blake Shapin may have a leg up because of his experience to a certain extent, that, that he'll have a shot to, to truly compete for the starting job. Is that kind of – is that the feeling you think Sawyer has coming into this? Well, if he doesn't, then he shouldn't have picked Baylor. I mean, I'll, I'll put it to you that way, uh, Matt. Because every – because I think, you know, any quarterback that evaluates this situation and feels like they've got an opportunity to really compete for this job, and given the way it all kind of, you know, ended for – uh, Blake at the end of the year, at the end of this 2022 season, should give them that thought. Now, I mean, Blake has earned at least the idea of that he is the incumbent, but it shouldn't mean that he is the that he is a given to be the starter next year. And you've heard me say that on your show multiple times. But I think what you know, now the one the thing that that Blake does have over Sawyer is the fact that he does have Division One, he does have P5 experience. You know. Sawyer only has three games experience. He redshirted it in 2021, and he only got into a handful of games. He got into the competition to be the starter uh, at uh, 
Mississippi State, but obviously lost out to Will Rogers. But I think now that he looks at this and he's back in Texas, and I think he just feels like I've got a shot here. And, you know, this is a matter of – I think if you're Blake Shapin, to be honest with you, Matt, you should look at this and say, this better and should make me a better quarterback. Because if you're pushed, it should bring out the best in your ability. And I think that's what – if yeah. anything, that's what, the, that's what the Baylor coaching staff well, is it's... hoping for. It's better than then like Grayson McCall or bringing in Hartman or like one of these like top line. I'm not saying they were going to get one of those guys, but if you right. if you bring in somebody of that caliber, you got to be thinking, oh my gosh, they're bringing in somebody to replace me instead of compete with me. And so I think right. the competition can be there. Kevin Longquist joining the Matt Mosley show, ESP in Central Texas. Take us back to his recruiting. I'm sure you went back over your notes. And we're kind of looking and and uh, and some of the different recruiting services. You obviously rivals dot com. Uh, he was a well thought of quarterback back in the day, the two thousand twenty one class. Is that right? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what are we talking about? Like, put it in context of like kind of where Novasad was. Probably not ranked quite that high back in 2021, but uh, but certainly a, a highly respected prospect coming out of Lubbock Coronado. Sure. He was uh, Rivals 206, because I looked at this, uh, obviously, when things started to heat up between him and Baylor. He was Rivals 206, and he had such good offers from Florida State, Arkansas, USC. So it was a case where he was getting he was getting pretty solid attention there. I think the reason why Mississippi State was always the leader for him at that time was because he obviously grew up in Lubbock. He was around Mike Leach's program, and he said at the time, and even reiterated it to me when I talked to him this morning, was I really wanted to play for Coach Leach, and that was all I thought about. So he was basically going to follow him to wherever Mike was going at the time. And I think from the standpoint, you know, here's the interesting thing, Matt. Look at it this way. You have a quarterback in Sawyer Robertson who doesn't have a lot of miles on the tire versus a guy like Austin Novosad who was ranked higher I mean, because I think Austin was 86 before he obviously signed with Oregon. But you have a guy in Robertson who's basically the same kind of quarterback, you know, very talented, that sort of thing, but he's already got a P5 body, you know, gone through a Division I strength and conditioning program at a P5 school, Southeastern Conference School, whereas Novosad – probably is going to walk into Oregon this coming in the next week or so and have to go through that development process from transforming his body. Whereas Baylor's got somebody who's already pretty much ready to go from that standpoint. So he can just hit the ground running. So maybe there is a benefit in that trade-off the way this whole thing developed. All right, Aaron, get that him saying he has a P5 body. For some reason, I kind of like hearing Lunk was saying that. I'd like to, I'd like to <laughs> you repeat would use that. You would have a sound bite, wouldn't you? So. <laughs> Kevin Lunk was – so is he kind of rangy? I mean, it seems like he's tall, angular. I, I'm just trying to remember if he can move. He's more of a pocket passer type when we kind of we're, – we're looking back at the notes and kind of what the Mississippi State folks – thought about him and everything doesn't he have doesn't he have pretty good um, pretty good height and all that yeah six three uh well no i'm sorry six two two oh three so i mean I, I think that's a pretty good size there i don't know if you would consider him more of a dual threat versus a pure pocket passer type of guy but a guy that could probably be a mixture of both maybe molded in that blake shaping type of thing but i think maybe a little bit more mobile than blake or willing to run if necessary 
Um, if the situation presents itself, I think you could look at him that way. Uh, big arm makes all the throws. Of course, now we got to see it once you know you get past spring, and if there's an absolute you know Donnie Brook, if you will, for the uh, for the starting job. Because my personal opinion is on this, and this is January, and the season doesn't start until Labor Day weekend, of course. But my personal opinion is is that I think we're not going to have a starting quarterback for this program until late in fall camp. So that's yeah. August. I really don't. Don't you want to give Schaefer a chance to transfer? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's the reason why they don't. But, you know, the other thing, thing too, though, is is that I don't know if they're done looking for another quarterback here. Um, I think you're right about that. Like maybe an older guy that's been around. uh, Yeah, I think you're right. You need somebody else for for the quarterback room, don't you? Right. I mean, because they went through the 2022 season in very unusual circumstances. I mean, there's a guy with, with two scholarship quarterbacks. That was Blake and that was uh, Kyron Drones. Now, there's a guy from Oregon State by the name of Tristan Gebbia who's out there, and they might be looking at him. And he's a guy that has – he's a grad transfer. Uh, he could – you know, he was actually – he actually played in Oregon State's Las Vegas Bowl game against Florida right before Christmas – and everyone thought that he was going to hang it up, that he was done. And then he decided that he wanted to give it one more year. And he has a grad transfer year available to him. The other thing about him, though, is that he does have an opportunity to get a medical red shirt because of this torn hamstring that he suffered in 2020. And he missed all of 2021 for this. So if he decides to apply for, you know, let's just say if he picks Baylor or wherever he goes, um, he could possibly have two years if he's granted a medical hardship. Wait, are you saying... Are you yeah, saying the Bears are in on this guy? I think they are, yeah. Um, okay. And I think that, and I'm saying that I think that from the standpoint, now whether or not they're going to go get him or not or push him, I don't know. But I think what you need to look at here is that every standard college football program has three scholarship quarterbacks on their roster. And Baylor really needs to get back to three, no matter how it looks, because it creates better depth, it creates better options, it gives you different things to run on how you want to run your offense, that sort of thing. Boy, Kevin, this is good stuff. This is good insight. I like all this. There's a guy at South Florida I like, by the way, who has another year of eligibility left. (laughs) He also suffered a shoulder injury, too. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's not going to. By the way, I did look at at that the other day just because I was checking up on Gary Bohannon, and uh, he's going to sit out the spring, but he should be good to go in the fall. So I I don't think he's going to transfer back into Baylor. But we always Mm -hmm. wish Gary the best. And they've sure. got new facilities there and stuff. Okay. Exciting yeah. times. They're, they're at South Florida. All right. Uh, Kevin Longquist from Rivals.com here on the Matt Mosley Show, his favorite program to be on uh, on, a, uh, on a weekly basis. Now, Kevin, the um, – I mean, I trust that that's true. Kevin, let me ask you this. The, um, <laughs> this Mike Smith mm-hmm. from Liberty, okay, I, I just, since we've talked, and then, of course, Jake Roberts coming in – from North Texas, interesting prospects. Obviously, uh, they need to replace Ben Sims. They've got a couple of candidates. They got one guy hurt, my guy, and uh, Dabney. And then, of course, Kelsey did some really good things later in the season. I kind of like him, big old guy. But tell me about Jake Roberts and then the linebacker, uh, Mike Smith. Well, let's start with Roberts, uh, good-looking prospect. He was down to Arkansas. Uh, SMU and Baylor. He visited all three schools last week. 
Uh, he's from Norman, Oklahoma. And, uh, I, and then I think after the Arkansas visit, it really came down to uh, SMU and Baylor. And I think the opportunity to how Titans really shine in Baylor's offense, probably one of the uh, tipping points as to why he picked Baylor. You know, he had good receiving numbers at North Texas. I think, you know, he, he averaged about, about 350 yards receiving. But what I liked about his numbers is that he averaged 14 yards a catch, which is kind of unusual for tight ends to average that much. But that kind of showed you what North Texas, how they wanted to use their tight end. Now, the one thing what he will have to do is once he gets on campus, same thing, starting with the offseason, you know, next week when they, everybody returns is, you know, it's a different game at the G5 level than it is at the P5 level. So it's going to be about the speed, the physicality, and just getting your, you know, getting yourself worked into that position. Uh, I think he is a Ben Sims type of guy that can, that can block on the edge if you need him to or if you, or if you can send him out on seam routes, that sort of thing. Uh, as far as Mike Smith is concerned, I believe he has one year of eligibility left. And, of course, with the coaching change at Liberty when Hughes Freeze went to uh, Auburn and then Jeremy Chadwell came from Coastal Carolina to Liberty, uh, that caused a lot of a lot of Liberty play, defensive players went into the portal, by the way. And Smith is a guy that spent his first couple of years in college at a junior college, had about 160 tackles in his two years playing there, led Liberty in tackles last year with about 85 and had 10 of them for losses. I could see him being that Dylan Doyle replacement. He's not, he's not tall, tall, but he's, he's a wide body enough so that I think that he would be considered, or even Ooh. if you put him on the outside, that's fine too. As you and I both know, Matt, they really need some experience in the linebacker court because of what they lost, and they have so many pups on the roster that just haven't had a lot of experience. All right, and then Isaiah Dunson comes in as a cornerback. I like on these committed, when they put these uh, graphics up, they always put them in number seven, leading me mm-hmm. to think, wait, is that Bryson Jackson? Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Maybe they're giving I, them numerically so you can keep track of the number of uh, transfer portal guys that have come through. So I don't know. Exactly. Which is what now? What are they up to? Like eight or eight or nine? Now. Yeah. I mean, this is, okay. uh, this is by far the most active that Baylor's ever been in the portal era. Yeah, you were even saying you were joking that they were tra- doing some trades with Arkansas, the wide receiver for for two cornerbacks. I mean, it felt like that, didn't it? When it was, uh, yeah, Keyshawn Jackson coming this way, and then you got Stax Johnson and uh, Al Walcott going up to Fayetteville. That was kind of random how that all kind of worked out. Hey, do they call that the hill, like in Fayetteville? I- I've never heard it called that. I've heard it called the hills, but I mean. I mean, for as long as I've been connected to that area up there, I've never heard it called that. But maybe I'm in the dark somewhere. Well, you sent a kid there, didn't you? As far as I know, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say <laughs> you would have heard of the hill. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I don't, I, she never, she never said that to me. She never okay. called it that. So. Okay. Now, uh, men's and women's basketball. Men, uh, West Virginia, boy, battle of the uh, desperate teams. Zero and three. Certainly, you know, if they could right the ship, either one of these teams could get back in the conversation and and, 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 and certainly would have NCAA tournament hopes um, uh, uh, still alive. If they, if, all you really need to do in this conference is at least go around 500, and you're going to be yeah. in the uh, NCAA tournament. So I, I, 0-3 is not the death sentence that it feels like, but for Baylor, it just feels so crazy. Back-to-back conference champs to – to start this thing 0 and 3. Uh this is not an easy place t- to go get this first win in Morgantown. 
Kevin, that, that was really weird the other night. I mean, first of all, uh, Cryer, I, I just couldn't figure out what was going on with him. He he was not part of the offense at all, and he's such a great shooter. That was weird. I think he only had like four or five points in that game. And then, quite honestly, in the OT, when they were down by one, I don't know what was going on. I, I, I looked at that thing again last night, and I'm thinking, How, you're down a point. You, you don't – you don't wait. You don't. You don't treat it like the end of a half or the or a tie game. You're down a point. You got to go. You got to go. Mm-hmm. Try to get something going at the rim or 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 score a bucket. You you. But you don't. You don't like wait till there's like five seconds left. I I don't. I don't quite understand what was happening in that sequence. Quite, quite honestly, now. Be, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say there seems to be an issue here, Matt, in late game situations where whether it's the opposing team defending Baylor or if it's just Baylor not running the offense but let's face it Jalen Bridges versus TCU and Caleb Lohner against Kansas State are not the guys you want taking the shots at the end of games to either win it or tie it or whatever okay that's just it's not gonna it's not you've got to get it into your best players hands and whether that's Adam Flagler or Keontae George or, or if you're comfortable with LJ Cryer even though I think he's still in a fog uh, coming off the the uh, concussion protocol but I think the, the one thing about this is that there's just so many little things with Baylor's team that just aren't functioning right they're not playing great transition defense they're not playing great defense at all they're turning it over way too much and there's just not great communication there and as we've seen it Matt we talked about this pretty much from the opener opening game of the season was they're not getting enough they're not getting enough productivity down court. Now, there's a lot of rumors that, you know, Jonathan Chamo Chachua could be back or whatever. And if he does, that's great. But you know what? Somebody mentioned this to me today is that Baylor is missing the guy like a Mark Vidal, the guy that does the dirty work in there, you know, the scrambles for the loose ball. Well, that's loner. That. That's got to be loner. And but I don't, I don't, him, but it's not him. Okay. I mean, uh... if, if you think it's him, I, I respectfully speaking, I don't think it's him. So if it's so if we agree on that, then who is it? Well, you're going to have to start playing. Langston Love is getting better, and he does give you offense. And so I, I, I looked, and he was averaging like 16 minutes a game. You're going to have to go small more. Uh, you're right, Cryer. Something was weird the other night. He, I, I just don't. To your point, with six seconds left, yeah, I mean that that was. I don't know what was going on. I mean, that see that the the shot you're talking about from Loner. Well, there were only yeah. four or five seconds left, and they had to get the length of the court. I'm talking about the previous possession well, no, where they I lost the that. ball with six seconds left. I don't understand. Flagler did have the ball, and I got no problem with the ball in Flagler's hands. But you can't let it get to six seconds. You're down one point. I mean, I had to go back because I, I, I was at a problem. Is, but if you watch college basketball. Every time, or just or it feels like just about every time that we get in these late game situations or late clock situations, and it doesn't matter if it's Baylor or anybody else, and I get so darn frustrated by watching this because these guys start the play way too late. They start it with six when you need to start it with eight, and when, because if you miss, you allow yourself a second shot, and that's what causes a majority yeah. of these plays to fail. But you you have to you have to know situational basketball. I, I'm I totally with you. I'm t- I no no no. I'm with you. I'm with you on on three point shots and all that. I get it. I mean it it it, it drives me nuts on some of that. But the other night you're in a game 
and you're down one and you didn't understand the situation of the game. You don't wait. You've got to go. I don't even care mm-hmm. if you shoot a three, but you shoot the three with th- with like 25 seconds left if you have an open three. You don't wait till six seconds and then try to go get something. It didn't make any sense to me. And and right. and you got to call. You got to if, if you're not getting what you want, you got to you got to call a timeout. You got to call a timeout in half court. And I don't know. I'd have to look back and see, make sure they had a timeout. Here's the thing about tonight. Okay, now they've had some success up in uh, Morgantown in recent years. But you know, remember they won when they won their conference title for the first time in what was it, seventy some odd years when they won it. That was they won it in Morgantown that year. Um, but I'll say this: if they win or lose tonight, I don't think the goal right now, until it becomes realistic, is to push for the Big 12 championship. They got to get to one and three, and then they got to get to two and three, then they got to get to three and three. You know, kind of chip their way back. And just trying to, to your point earlier about trying to maybe get to around 500 to be an NCAA tournament consideration. If they lose tonight, then I, for, for me, all intents and purposes, the Big 12 title hopes are out the window. So I think this is a must win if they still feel like they got a shot to try and compete for it. Yeah. Well, you remember the women lost first couple of games last year and then got on a big roll and ended up winning the uh, the conference title. So um, maybe the men can do something like that. I trust in Scott. I trust in this staff. And uh, but boy, it's it, it's just a weird look right now, isn't it? Because it happened the other yeah. night against Tang. Tang's on a roll. They won again last night. He's the number eleven team in the country, and and he was with this program for nineteen years. So you can't right. help but go. All right, what's going on here? Um, and 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 you got to be happy for him in a lot of ways, but also you got to think, okay, did, did how much did they lose in that? And those questions, I think, naturally come up. All right, uh, it is uh, it is good to visit with you, Kevin. I mean, what a segment! We we, we covered a lot of ground. I think the ratings, uh, the overnights are going to look good on that segment. I appreciate you uh, spending the Worth time the price with us. Of eggs, Matt. Worth the price of eggs. I thought you were going to ask me about the Vikings and the Giants this weekend, but never mind. We can get to that next week. So I don't even. I mean, honestly, that's that's kind of that's not even the undercard. That's. Like... <laughs> <laughs> always, always a pleasure, Matt. Take care. Okay. All right. All right. There he goes, Kevin. Longquist from Rivals.com. Just a wealth of information today.